Chapter 4 of Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Griffiths. Aunt Jane's Nieces on Vacation by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 4 the way into print sam cotting's general store at millville divided importance with bob west's hardware store but was a more popular loafing place for the sparse population of the tiny town the post office was located in one corner and the telephone booth in another and this latter institution was regarded with much awe by the simple natives once in a while, someone would telephone over to the junction on some trivial business, but the long-distance call was never employed except by the nabobs, the local name for John Merrick and his nieces, or by the manager of the new mill at Royal, who had extended the line to his own office in the heart of the pine forest. So when Uncle John and the girls entered Cotting's store and the little gentleman shut himself up in the telephone booth, a ripple of excitement spread throughout the neighbourhood. Skim Clark, the youthful hope of the widow Clark, who run the Emporium, happened to be in the store, and he rushed out to spread the news that the nabob's talking to New York. This information demanded immediate attention. Marshal McMahon McNutt, familiarly known as Peggy McNutt, because he had once lost a foot in a mowing machine, and who was alleged to be a real estate agent, horse doctor, fancy poultry breeder and palmist, and who also dabbled in the sale of subscription books, life insurance, liniment and watermelons, quickly slid off his front porch, crossed the way, and sauntered into Cotting's, to participate in the excitement. Seth Davis, the blacksmith, dropped his tools and hurried to the store, and the druggist three doors away, a dapper gentleman known as Nib Corkins, hurriedly locked his door and attended the meeting. Presently, the curious group was enlarged by the addition of Nick Thome, the liveryman, Lon Taft, a carpenter and general man-of-all-work, and Silas Caldwell, the miller, the latter a serious individual who had just happened to come across from the mill in the nick of time. Sam Cotting, being himself of great local importance, had never regarded with favour the rivalry of the nabob, but he placed stools near the telephone booth for the three girls, who accepted the courtesy with a graciousness that ought to have disarmed the surly shopkeeper. They could not fail to be amused at the interest they excited, and as they personally knew every one of the town people, they pleasantly nodded to each arrival and inquired after their health and the welfare of their families. The replies were monosyllables. Millville folks were diffident in the presence of these city visitors. 
and while they favoured the girls with rather embarrassing stares, their chief interest was centred on the little man in the telephone booth, who could plainly be seen through the glass door, but might not be heard, however loudly he shouted. Talking to New York was yet a marvellous thing to them, and much speculation was exchanged in low tones as to the probable cost of such a conversation as Mr. Merrick was now indulging in. "'Costs a dollar to connect, you know,' remarked Peggy McNutt to Ned Long. "'Bet a cookie he's running the blame bill up to two dollars with all this chinning. "'Why can't the old nabob write a letter like common folks "'and give his extra cash to the poor?' "'Meaning you, Peggy?' asked Nib Corkins with a chuckle. "'He might do wuss nor that.' retorted Peggy. Lor knows I'm poor enough. You don't catch me a-talking to New York at a dollar a-throw nib, do you? Meantime, Mr. Merrick had succeeded in getting Mr. Marvin of the banking house of Isham, Marvin & Co. on the wire. Do me a favour, Marvin, he said. Hunt up the best supply house and have them send me a complete outfit to print a daily newspaper. Everything must be modern, you know, and don't let them leave out anything that might come handy. Then go to Corrigan, the superintendent of the railroad, and have him send the freight up here to Chasey Junction by a special engine, for I don't want a moment's delay and the regular freight takes a week or so. Charge everything to my account, and impress upon the dealer the need of haste. Understand all that, Marvin? I think I do, sir, was the reply. But that's a pretty big order, Mr. Merrick. The outfit for a modern daily will cost a small fortune. Never mind, send it along. Very well, but you'd better give me some details. How big a newspaper do you want to print? Hold the wire and I'll find out, said Uncle John. Then he opened the door of the booth and said, Patsy, how big a thing do you want to print? How big? Oh, let me see. Four pages will do, won't it, Louise? Oh, plenty, I should say, for this place, answered Louise. "'And how many columns to a page?' asked Uncle John. "'Oh, six or seven. That's regular, I guess.' "'Make it six, proposed Beth. That will keep us busy enough.' "'All right,' said Uncle John, and closed the door again. This conversation was of the most startling nature to the assembled villagers, who were all trying to look unconcerned, and as if they'd just dropped in, but were unable to dissemble their curiosity successfully. Of course, much of this interchange of words between the man in the booth and the girls outside was Greek to them all, but to print and columns and pages could apply only to one idea, which, while not fully grasped, was tremendously startling in its suggestion. The Merrick party 
was noted for doing astonishing things in the past, and evidently, in the words of Peggy McNutt, they were up to some blame foolishness that'll either kill this neighbourhood or make it talked about. It's too dead already to kill, responded Nick Thorne gloomily. Even the paper mill, four mile away, ain't managed to make Millville wiggle its big toe. Don't you worry over what the nabob'll do, Peggy. He couldn't hurt nothing if he tried. The door opened again, and Mr. Merrick protruded a puzzled countenance. He wants to know about a stereotype plant, Patsy. What'll I tell him? Patsy stared. Louise and Beth shook their heads. If it belongs to the the thing we want, Uncle, have em send it along, said Patsy in desperation. All right. A few minutes later, the little man again appealed to them. How will we run the thing, girls? Steam or electricity? Patsy's face was a blank. Beth giggled, and Louise frowned. Of course it'll have to be run, suggested Mr. Merrick, but how? That's the question. I, I hadn't given the matter much thought, admitted Patsy. What do you think, Uncle? He considered, holding open the door while he thoughtfully regarded the silent but interested group of villagers that eagerly hung upon every word that passed. Cotting, called Mr. Merrick. How do they run the paper mill at Royal? Electricity, electricity, sir, answered half a dozen at once. They develops the power from the Royal Waterfall of the Little Bill, explained Cotting with slow and pompous deliberation. Mr. Skeelty, he told me they had enough electricity to light up the whole dumb country for ten mile in all directions, besides a running of the mill. Who's Skeelty? Manager of the mill, sir, and part owner, he says. Has he a telephone? Yes, Mr. Merrick. Thank you. Mr. Merrick shut the door and called up Skeelty. Five minutes of bargaining settled the question, and he then connected with Mr. Marvin again, and directed him to have the presses and machinery equipped to run by electricity. Thinking he had now given the banker all the commissions he could attend to with celerity, Uncle John next called up Major Doyle and instructed his brother-in-law to send four miles of electric cable with fittings and transformers and a crew of men to do the work and not to waste a moment's time in getting them to Millville. What in blazes are you up to now, John? inquired the Major on receiving this order. None of your business, Gregory. Obey orders. Going to light the farm and turn night into day, persisted the Major. This is Patsy's secret, and I'm not going to give it away, said Mr. Merrick. Attend to this matter promptly, Major, and you'll see the result when you come to us in July for your vacation. 
having attended to all the requirements of the projected millville tribune as he thought mr merrick called the operator for the amount of his bill and paid it to sam cotting three dollars and eighty cents the sum fairly made the onlookers gasp and as the merrick party passed out silas the miller said solemnly don't anybody tell me talk is cheap after this john merrick may be a millionaire but if he keeps this thing up long he'll be a pauper that's my prophesy you're off your base si said mcnutt joe wegg told me once that the nabob's earnings on his money were more'n he could spend if he lays awake nights at doing it joe says it keeps piling up on him till sometimes it drives him nigh desperate i had an idea i'd ask him to shuck off some of it on to me i could stand the strain all right and get plenty of sleep too you won't have no call to stand it peggy predicted lon taint millionaires may spend money foolishly but they don't never give none away i've done several odd jobs for mr merrick but he's never given me more'n just wages well said mcnutt with a sigh while he's in easy reach there ought to be some sort of pickings for us and it's our duty to get all we can out of him short of actual robbery what do you suppose this new deal means boys sounds like printing something don't it perhaps it's some letterheads for the wegg farm suggested nip corkins these merricks do everything on a big scale four pages and six columns to a page asked cotton scornfully sounds to me more like a newspaper folks there was a moment's silence during which they all stared at the speaker fearfully then said skim clark in his drawling halting way if that's the case and there's going to be a newspaper here in millville we may as well give up the struggle for the town will be ruined end of chapter four